0: Listener Production.
1: Okay, are you recording?
0: Welcome along, one and all, to episode 113 of the Howie Games Part A. Hope you're all enjoying a break, taking it easy, spending some good quality time with those you love. And from me to you, a happy, safe and positive New Year to every single one of you. Alrighty, to this week's episode 113. Be fair to say, before I had kids, the excitement of Christmas was more about going to the Boxing Day test than it was about Christmas itself. Jump on the train, meet the boys, Sneaky Pete, Dodgy Dave, Will, a few beers, maybe the old roast pork and ham sandwiches left over from the day before, the sports quiz in the paper who'd get the highest score... And my earliest cricket memory relates back to Boxing Day featuring this week's guest who broke my young heart and Australia's with this last gasp effort to deny AB and Tomo at the Boxing Day test of 1982. I speak of course of Ian Botham as he was known then. Ian Botham goes now to Geoff Thompson. England win by three runs. Well what about that then? What a marvellous game of cricket this has been uh, here at the MCG. Three runs, the lowest winning margin ever, equaling the one in 1902 at Old Trafford. A fantastic performance by both teams to provide such entertainment. And I'm certain England were getting very, very nervy out there. Even the touch of panic buttons at one stage seemed to be hit by the fielders running into one another and one or two other little disasters. As an Australian cricket fan, to watch that back, it still hurts. Since then, Beefy, as he's generally known, became Sir Ian, and now, if you don't mind, more recently, Lord Ian Botham. First time the Howie Games has ever had a lord on. Probably the last, as well, while I think of it. Lord Botham's titles owe as much to his phenomenal charity work and legendary walks as anything he did on a cricket field, which was plenty. He is without a doubt my favourite English cricketer of all time. He whacked it far and wide, swung it around corners, won games pretty much by himself and was and is a very, very free spirit, which always appeals to me.
1: So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by
0: I first met Beefy in a Triple M commentary box when he wandered in, sat down, looked at me, put the headset on. I'd never met him before. I was introducing him to the audience and introducing myself to him while we were on air. He sort of had a bit of a chuckle, rolled into a Beefy story, and away he went. The man has presence. By the way, keep an eye out for Ian's wine range, which is outstanding. It has got something for everyone over 18. The label is called Botham Wines. Botham Wines. Ian is very, very passionate about it, and he is an elite wine taster.
1: So many lost and left behind, and no one seemed to care. Those who should seems like they're blind. Tending, they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes
0: I'm about to play you some audio which happened as this episode was coming to its conclusion meaning we had to wrap up a little bit earlier than expected.
2: What about doing something that is... um... Sorry. Hang on a minute. Yeah.
3: It's so got House of, House of Parliament to set your. I think right,
2: on. I'm ready. All right, I'll, I'll, we won't be much longer yet. Okay. How, how
3: much
2: longer? I don't know. How long will you be, Harry? Well, it
0: is long. When you've got to go, you've got
2: to go. All right. Well, yeah. let me do the finish. We'll do a... Yeah. Five. Minutes. Five, minutes. five minutes. Ten minutes. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: No. Done. Five minutes. Okay. Well, five minutes. I've got.
0: Well, I don't, you, I don't want to stop the House of Parliament. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ian had to report into the House of Lords, which is a pretty good reason to wrap things up. Alrighty, enjoy the entertainer. That is Lord Ian Botham.
1: So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed In King Selassie, I Come on, children, tread with me. We want to reach Mount Zion. Welcome
0: to the Howie Game. So mine, uh, just the greatest cricketer ever played for England. I first met this man in a Triple M commentary box, and I was asking people, do I call him sir? And you came in and just said, call me beefy. That is now upgraded because I welcome to the show Lord Ian Botham. Do I call you
2: Lord? Uh, no, beefy, Howie. We've known each other long enough, mate. Howie, I'm right. not, look, it's a title and it gives me an opportunity to do things that I want to do, uh, but um, no, I'm not. Um, I mean, you do get called all the time, which is, a, is an honour, but um, no, I'm beefy.
0: It is a tremendous honour. I've been reading about it, trying to understand it. So, Baron... Botham of Ravensworth in the county of North Yorkshire, a non-party political crossbench peer. That is a mouthful. What does it mean, Beef? Th- it, because it is a tremendous honour. I'm being serious now. H- how does it happen? Who gives it to you? A- and what does it mean?
2: Well, I'll tell you when I first knew about it, Howie. Uh, it was actually when I was yep. in Australia. And um, right. Last February when we did, we came down and we did, um, AB came and joined me. Um, boys were there and we had... Um, did a uh, golf day for the firefighters. Yep. Yeah. Uh, to Q yeah. Golf Club in Melbourne. Yeah. So we went there and did that and we had a great day and everyone enjoyed it and we had some, uh, the usual boys there, the Callaway boys and everyone there, Mercedes and it was, we, everyone sort of threw their, threw their hat into the ring and uh, we raised quite a lot of money, which was great. And I just literally flown in probably for a couple of days before. So I was a bit... <laughs> but she had, in fairness, jet lag's a thing of the past, I think, nowadays. But So we, we went and played that um, at Q, and I'm going back with Kath, who came over with me, and we're going back to the hotel in the city in Melbourne, and uh, we're going along, and the uh, phone goes. And no ID call, which I tend to not answer. But I had a bit of a gut feeling. I thought this was a bit weird at this time. So I answered it, and it was um, uh, secretary for Boris, uh, Boris Johnson, and she said, um, "We'd um, Boris would like to invite you to become a peer." And huh. I thought, "Okay, yeah, all right, great. Uh, let me think about it, um, as if I needed very long to think about it." Um, but we're in the car, and then of course COVID hit, and the yeah. whole world went upside down. And uh, I didn't hear anything for months, and I thought, "Okay, not heard me for months. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not happening." And then, just a few weeks ago, um, well, I say a few weeks ago, two months, two and a half months ago, uh, got the phone call. Um, we need. To, uh, will you accept your peerage? And I said yes. I'd thought about it. And in fairness, there's quite a few things to think about with a peerage because you're in the House of Lords, and if you're going to do it, there's no point in playing around with it. You want to be active. And uh, with a lot of the lawmaking in the UK, et cetera, gets rubber sealed, and uh, through the um, through the House of Lords. So, wow. so I've got um, areas of where I want to concentrate. There's there's um, obviously sport and the effects of COVID on sport and stadiums and getting money in because uh, you know Sunderland football ground just up the road, they're losing about nearly half a million pounds every game behind closed doors. That's a lot of money. Mm. A lot of money week in, week out. So we're looking at ways of getting crowds back in, as you've done in, uh, in Australia, particularly New South Wales and Queensland uh, and WA with the AFL, etc. So we want to try and get that in. Also the countryside, uh, getting a little bit fed up of the uh, the pavement warriors telling us how to run the countryside. So I want to get stuck into that. <laughs> and um, But also uh, the fisheries uh, inland and in the sea, um, th- there's quite a lot of things for me to get stuck into, and um, that's the beauty of it. You get your daily, um, or you, you get your monthly, basically, what's happening, and then you pick out the ones that you want to be involved, and in these strange times, you do it as we're doing it now, uh, virtual, and uh, you're involved, and you get four minutes. Because it, with it being on virtual, and everyone wants to get involved. Um, four minutes is your speaking time. You can get quite a lot in in four minutes. I mean, yesterday I did actually did my maiden speech yesterday, uh, which means now I'm in, I can vote, I can do everything now, the, the full deck of cards. How would you go? Good, I think, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it, actually. I was a little apprehensive and I kept on reading the speech that Sarah had, um, and myself put together yesterday morning and she typed it out in nice big letters for me so I can read them. And it, <laughs> but also the great thing is the bigger the letters, it tends to slow you down. When you're speaking, uh, I find so uh, a tip, um, but uh, I learned from a a trial and error. Uh, The actual ceremony was about three or four weeks ago. I, in Lord Botham, do swear, my mighty God, that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth, her heirs and her successors, according to the law. So help me God. I watched the ceremony, very formal, isn't it? Yeah, very, very formal. The history in there is quite amazing. You, you have to go, I would say to anyone, if you ever get the opportunity to walk through the House of Lords, the corridors uh, and the the artwork and the history and the art, um, it really is quite stunning, mind-blowing. So. Um, Did
0: you have a moment, Beef, where you looked around and thought, you know, a, a cricketer growing up out in the sticks raised a lot of money for charity, and now you're being welcomed into the highest echelon of British society.
2: Sir Ian Terence Botham, Knight, officer of our most excellent order of the British Empire, to the state, degree, style, dignity, title, and honor of Baron Botham of Ravensworth in our county of North Yorkshire. Uh, yeah, um, but I, do you know one of the things that struck me when I went down for the uh, actual, to do, take my oath, Um, and you get gowned up and et cetera and you walked in because of COVID there wasn't three or four hundred people there which there would be normally in the hall there was probably 30 and uh, but the reception I got afterwards and during before and after everyone is is so it's different to the House of Commons which is quite aggressive whereas the House of Lords is much calmer and people discuss things and talk and I had Mm. people from all parties being a crossbencher means I, I'm not affiliated to any uh, actual, uh, the Conservatives, the Lib Dems or the, the Labour Party, whatever. Uh, I, I am a crossbencher, so I can, it gives me um, more opportunities. So, um, yeah, I went down there and it, it's just amazing, Harry. If you're ever, well, you ever, when you get back over here, mate, and when things are normal, I'll take you down. Oh, I'd
0: love to go. Yeah, yeah
2: I'll show you around. It's impressive.
0: Well, I'll have to wear one of those sort of cape setups that you were going with or?
2: you're actually if you want to go in the hall just got to put a jacket and tie on or suit
0: okay I can manage
2: that. It doesn't get any stuffier than that, so it's cool. It's cool.
0: While we're talking about this, you were knighted um, in 2007. Um, I'm watching The Crown at the moment on Netflix, which is all about the um, British royal family. I found it fascinating. A lot of things I didn't know. So when you get knighted, what's the process there? Is that done by the
2: Queen in person or not? Uh, It can be. Uh, It was in my case. It was? Yeah. yeah, The Queen uh, anointed me with the... And the shoulders.
0: So, is it lit- is it is it with the sword on oh, either yeah, side? Yeah,
2: yeah. I know these are ig- ignorant questions, but no, no, not at all. Um, no, yeah, with the uh, the actual sword, which has been there for the ceremony forever. Uh, oh. I don't know what date it goes back to, but um, you're you're done, and uh, you have a conversation with the queen. Um, that that was actually more nerve wracking than uh, huh. doing the uh, House of Lords. But that's maybe because you progressed a little bit in in more confidence in speaking, and um, and what to say, and and how to conduct yourself. But um, no, that that was a great moment because I'm a massive fan of the Queen. Um, I think she's the most, you know, in her 90s now and still as sharp as any razor on the market. She's she's amazing. And uh, is she lovely? Yeah, fantastic. Really nice. (laughs) Really, really nice. Uh, engage you in conversation. There was 99 people when I went for my, there was two of us getting knighthoods and the rest were you know, CBEs, OBEs, all the way. Down. And um, she had a conversation with every single person, which I yeah. think is quite amazing. And I always remember, what she said to me, she said, uh, she said, you know, I'm not that fond of cricket here. And I said, yes, ma'am." <laughs> <laughs> so, but she asked me to tell her about, about the charity work. So I t- had a quick chat with her about that. And then uh, that was it all over.
0: Mate, there is so much to talk about. Throughout this conversation, I'm going to bring to the table various what I call urban myths or urban legends about you, and you need to say yes or no. That's completely made up, Howie. I was talking to a fellow the other day who was a a cricketer who was called upon to be a waiter at I think it was the pre-World Cup final dinner in Melbourne when you're about to play Pakistan. Yeah. He told me that a comedian or some such entertainer got up and had a crack at the Queen and you, and it could have been Alan Lamb, got up and walked out. So this is urban myth number one. True or false?
2: Uh, 90% true. It wasn't Alan Lamb. It, right. was, it was Graham Gooch who followed me out.
0: So you got up and left?
2: Yeah, in front of 800 people. So what people.
0: happened? What happened? Uh,
2: nothing really because everyone agreed with my, well, you had this comedian on who was,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, meant to be funny, and right. I thought, hang on, this is the World Cup, uh, why am I here in the first place, the night before the Grand World Cup final, sitting at a dinner for 800 people when I don't want to be here, both teams were yeah. paraded in and sat down, neither team wanted huh. to be there, you know, the night before the biggest game, one of the biggest games of your life, you want to go out there, you know, you, you would never happen now. Never? Never, so we got marched into this, and this guy comes on and starts taking the Michael out of the Queen and uh, uh, with stuffed corgi under it and an arm and all this. Sort of, it was meant to be funny. And I just got up and said, I don't need this shit. And I just got up right. and walked out. And uh, everyone looked at me and I just walked out, got out the thing, walked home. And Kath and the girls went out, to, Kath took um, some of the girlfriends and they all went for, the wives went for a bit of a dinner, uh, the hotel or the restaurant somewhere. And I got back and she walked into the room from dinner. what are you doing here? I said I wasn't putting up with any more of that the night before. And, uh, yeah. no, so I think Keating was... Paul well, Keating was your Prime Minister yeah. then? And yeah. I remember uh, I was uh, interviewed coming down the escalator. They stopped the escalator. You know, you, uh, the, Mr Keating said that you were very precious walking out to the dinner. And I said, well, unlike Mr Keating, I have a heritage. And we'll <laughs> come down." I always remember that statement. <laughs> about it, but, um, you know, to be honest with you, it, it shouldn't have been, we shouldn't have been in that situation. It was ridiculous. No. And why on earth the uh, English uh, ECB allowed the team to go and agreed to it is way beyond me. But that, that was All to right. say, the good thing is that things have changed a lot since then, and that would never happen now.
0: Next up on the Howie Games, we are sticking with the cricket theme, why wouldn't we, to feature a bloke known throughout the cricketing world as Gary. Yep. Nathan Lyon, a man with a story that reads like an old-fashioned
3: fairy tale. Darren Berry called me at about 10:30 at night on a Saturday night, and I'm like, I was at home. So you want here? So I didn't answer it because I was like in bed. Then he goes, I left a voice message. He goes, call me in the morning, ASAP. I need you. Need to meet you. So I slept. Uh, called him at eight o'clock, and he goes, I'll see you at the cafe on North Adelaide at the bakery at 8.30. Um, I said, yeah, alright. Oh, is everything all good? Like, have, am I in trouble? And he goes, no, nah, just see you there. So this is a Sunday and the team was getting announced on Tuesday. So he went and sat down and goes, well, I just wanted to tell you first, um, you're going to be picked in the Australian test team for Sri Lanka on Tuesday. Um, I said, bullshit, you, this is a practical <laughs> joke looking around for the cameras and like, nah, this isn't right. I played four Shield games. He goes, I just wanted to tell you because I've been holding your hand through this experience and I said, oh, Chuck, that's unbelievable. So ended up spending an hour with him just chatting there and I was about to go and he goes, oh, by the way, you can't tell anyone until Tuesday it doesn't get announced. So that's, you imagine telling someone that your dreams come, come in true but I'm not allowed to tell anyone. So I went home and I was just scratching my head for the next five hours going, what's going on here? Like, walking around, pumped. I'm like, i just got to call Dad. And so I called Dad and said, Dad, I'm going to pick an Australian test team. He goes, that's a practical joke, just, <laughs> like, like, just take it easy. Don't get your hopes up. And the next minute, Andrew Hilditch called me and said, um, congrats, um, you're on the test tour. Well deserved and all this stuff. And next minute I was rocking up and got a text message from Michael Clark, youngster, welcome. Look forward to meeting you. So then, yeah, rock. Next minute, rock up in Colombo and walked in with bags and opened up the lift and there's Michael Clark, Ricky pony and Mike Hussey. I basically crapped myself and <laughs> dropped my bags and had to introduce myself that I was a new team member.
0: That's Nathan Lyon. Next up on the show. Alrighty, righty, let's get back to Lord Botham. All right, Ian, 102 test matches, average 33 with a bat, 383 wickets, world record holder at one point at 28.4. As I said at the start, the best cricketer, let's be honest, that's ever played for England. Where did it start, Beef? Were you a bloke that was obsessed by cricket or I know you are into football as well? Where did this 60-plus year affair with the game begin?
2: Um, it began when my father was... Um I always wanted to... I played every game I could. My, my father's got pictures of family, family album of me standing at, uh, in, uh, I think it was, um, at uh, Lytham St Anne's because my father was in the Navy and uh, he oh, wow. was based in Ireland. So they used to come back over to uh, Heswell, which is where I was born uh, because my mother was sent over so they brought the wives over to have the children rather than having it in uh, Londonderry. So, um at the age of three, there's me on the golf course, the little cut-down club, hitting that. Hmm. And uh, basically every single sport that was put in front of me, uh, I wanted to play uh, as a kid. And then um, I was really, going along with my dad when he was playing, when I was about seven or eight, uh, and if either side was short, I would go and field. Go out there and field. And that's how really, you really... Know, and I'd go every week on the little cricket bag and... Fingers crossed. Someone's you know, had a flat tire and can't make it, and yeah, you know, <laughs> and I, I can feel it. Mean, it didn't matter whether I was fielding for the opposition or us, and uh, so that's how I think that's where it really started. So probably at a very young age, I had a, always had a bat or a ball in my hand, uh, whether it was a golf club, or any any kind of instrument, uh, and then as I got older, seven, eight, nine, and you know, I was playing uh, under 11s when I was nine. Um, and all this sort of stuff so yeah and then Somerset registered me at the age of 14 so I was signed on at 14 um, yeah you know it, 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 I, th- I suppose in the end of the day when you look at it all and you you put it all together those words from my father when I was about 14 years of age um, you know will always spring back and that's probably the best decision as, we, as I said to you earlier the best decision I've probably ever made
0: so you mentioned earlier on in the player profile, if people haven't listened, they should go back and listen to it, that your dad said play cricket, not football. So urban legend number two now, did Crystal Palace send you apprentice forms to sign up and be a professional footballer? Is that true
2: or false? Uh, well, they didn't send me the forms. They rang my mum and dad. Right. And the manager in those days was Burt's Head. And Palace, <laughs> were, Palace were a really good side, like they are now. Um, yeah. Really right up there. and. Um, they offered me uh, a sort of football scholarship, you know, apprentice uh, at the age of 15, 16, whatever, 15 I would have been because in those days you could leave school at 15. Yeah, that's that's pretty much true, yeah.
0: What type of footballer were you? you, you, you Who would you play for? Was it Scunthorpe or someone?
2: Yeah, Town, Scunthorpe, United, uh, um, um, for my sins and – no, not my sins, actually, I love it. Um, I'm actually president of the club now at Scunthorpe, so – uh, oh. So and I have been for about oh, five or six years
1: mm.
2: but yeah I, I'm still um, I love it uh, I love being um, watching the guys at the, and I actually enjoy as much the lower divisions as I do the higher divisions a bit more root grassroots a bit more um, mm. yeah a little bit more uh yeah, entertaining. Actually, I think you know it's 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 a little not quite so well planned as the Premiership boys or playing a diamond formation or this formation. Yeah, we don't bother with that, Scunny.
0: <laughs> There's so much to talk about with your beef. I don't just want to focus on cricket, but I, I want to have a bit of a cricket conversation and then move off into other areas because you've done so much in your life that fascinates me. But I guess well, to skip a, a little bit of territory. You made your test debut against the Aussies, the third test at Trent Bridge in 1977. What's your memories of, first, how do you find out that you're about to play for England and what was the build-up like and what was it like walking into an English dressing room in 1977 as a young bloke?
2: Well, first and foremost, it's nothing like it is now. Thanks, Um, It's It's nothing like it is now where you're in constant touch with the uh, they ring you they get back to you etc etc uh none of that um, you have to listen to the radio at midday on a sunday and the, the england side was announced at midday <laughs> on the radio uh, at um 12 o'clock and uh, so everyone you've been on the fringe for a little while and then you'd sit there and you'd pull over and then uh up came your name um uh, Somerset, uh, both them from Somerset has been called into the England squad, and um, they, you you go up there and you get to um, Trent Bridge and you park your car and you get your bag out, and you go up the stairs into the dressing room, and then suddenly this I hadn't played against some of these guys, and um, you go in and you sort of for probably I don't do it very often, but I, I sort of sat back in the background and kept a little bit quiet and tried to absorb things. And, it's, it of course, you know, it's a massive leap from where I'd been. And yes. then uh, walking over to the nets, and I, I didn't like nets in those days, and I hate them even more now.
0: What didn't you like about them?
2: Uh, I felt confined, locked in, too much going on around you, hard to concentrate, and every single bowler wants a brand-new uh, pill and wants to come running in yeah. off about 16 <laughs> yards and bust your ribs. So, no, I didn't really enjoy <laughs> that very much. So... Um, <laughs> I didn't enjoy batting or bowling in there. So as my career developed, I did less and less of that uh, for the better, I think. And um, I'm walking over the net and uh, Mike Hendrick and uh, Bob Willis walked alongside me and they sort of put their arm on my shoulder and said, look, mate, just enjoy it. You're going to be playing, just enjoy it. And and that was the start of a friendship with Bob that, um, well, he, he was probably if not the uh, number one on my list or he was certainly right up there as the best uh, mate a, a man could ever have we had everything we used to do everything together um, as, as it progressed the tests and the, uh, my, my time in the team and we used to find we managed to find bottles of wine in Pakistan and we used to find a management <laughs> bottle of wine in India in those days you yeah, <laughs> know yes, uh, but we, we um, a lot of the guys would go and play golf Oh, I, I might go and play golf with Bob early in the morning on the day off, but then they'd all go to the beach or whatever. And Bob, myself, a couple of others would find somewhere where we could go for lunch and uh, uh, chill out that way. So everyone to their own. But um, yeah, it was a big moment walking into the dressing room. But do you know, uh, it wasn't, was, you were made very welcome straight away. And uh, so you know, just, just walked in off the street and, you know, you're playing for England almost. That's how it felt when I arrived. But, um, you yeah, know, no, it was, it was great. Walked in and, oh, boys, how are you? And that was it. Boom, gone, done.
0: I, I looked at it and it's great that there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. Five for 74 in your first test match, your first wicket, the great Greg Chappell. Yeah, I'm
2: both I'm at a fairly sticky start. Uh... Here this morning, bowled six overs for 26 runs, found the edge of the bat uh, on one occasion. Was short of a slip, he only had two slips, and he's got two slips again at the moment. And he's bowling, first ball. Oh, what a return. Look at Botham, absolutely delighted. His first wicket in Test match cricket, and what a scalp
3: to get.
0: And this is a man that's never going to get anywhere near taking a Test wicket saying this. I'm thinking, right... I want to see his first test wicket. It might be a little out swinger that nibbles back or big in swinger that cuts away. And beefy, it wasn't, but it was still your first test wicket.
2: Mate, my loosener is one of the most deadly deliveries that's ever been bowled in <laughs> test cricket
1: because it's usually <laughs> a
2: floppy little long hop like that was or a wide juicy half volley to get the... Uh, because I used to come in and first ball, uh, just I didn't want to pull a hamstring or do anything with the first delivery. And and in those days, I was coming on first, second, or third change. Um, when you get when I got established myself with the new ball with Bob, that was different then because you were loose and ready to go when you went out. Uh, so I used to be a little bit careful the first couple of deliveries. And the first delivery uh, of my spell, uh, I think it was my second spell, and uh, I ran in and uh, handles looked at it and just thought, "Oh, I'm going to smash this out of the ground." This doubly do little. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it was about probably about your pace, Harry, to be honest. You know, That's
0: yeah. It didn't look that slow.
1: It didn't look that slow. <laughs>
2: and then, then, I, then you, you just, that was it, wasn't it? You know, first wicket. Now you know, you've sort of cleared all that doubt out of your mind. And then, as I say, I picked up four more. And it's Thompson now to face both of them once again. in the innings,
0: five wickets to date out of nine that have fallen for 196. You were given pretty early on in your career um, in some ways it's almost a poison chalice, the English captaincy. As an Australian, you look at it and you think, right, this bloke will go well and then Fleet Street just piles on, which our newspapers have started to do in the last 10 years admittedly. What was your experience of being England captain like, Beef?
2: Uh... At the time, yeah. I was blown away with it. Uh, 24, uh, the highest accolade your team can bestow uh, on you is to captain yeah. the team. So you're not going to hardly going to say uh, no, thank you. But with hindsight, uh, I should have said no. I said what? no, not now, maybe a couple of years down the road. But uh, no one's ever going to do that, I don't think, anyway. And uh, yeah, I, you know, when you think about it, I had 12 tests as captain... Uh, Ten, of which were against the West Indies, home and away, with probably arguably the best team that's ever played. But we only lost one. Nil. On. We lost one nil and two nil, not five nil, oh. five nil, five nil, five nil. So I thought we did reasonably well there. And then in those days, uh, a couple of the selectors were, should we say, more of the dina- dinosaur age than the present day age. Um, and yeah. when they started saying, well. You, you can do the test one at a time and we'll just make a decision at the end of each game for a home series. And I, wow. uh, second test, uh, I just, um, walked off the field. I said, this is ridiculous. I you know, it's no, it's confusing the players. It's confusing me. And I resigned. But I <laughs> at the press conference afterwards, uh, he's in the press said well, uh, your captain's resigned. And he said, ah, well, we're going to sack him anyway. <laughs>
0: He said that in the press
2: conference after he would resigned. Oh, come on. Mate, so, yeah, so, yeah, that that was the way it was in those days. But, you know, to be honest with you, um, I I always felt I was a better sergeant major than a captain. And um, to be honest with you, I don't think I had the patience to be a captain. You know, if someone nicks a regulation ball and it's just a straightforward dolly and they drop it, I'm not going to go up and pat them on the back. I'm going to go up and kick them up the ass. And that yeah. was the difference. And, uh, you know, I watch the game now, and these guys, someone makes a complete howler. And, uh, you know, the, the boys all patting him on the back. Uh, um, not for that. you work too hard as a bowler, and, you know, you only want to, you expect your backup. No one deliberately drops it, I know that. But, you know, you've got to set your own standards. And I would just kick the ground and walk off. But I didn't go running up to pat him on the back. So maybe I wasn't cut out for the job in that sense. But to be quite frank, as I say, Harry, with hindsight, mate, I should have said no.
0: Yeah, urban legend number three, that you had a full-on fisticuff style arrangement with Ian Chappell and it's brewed forever and a day. I've asked a couple of people about this that I work with closely and some are like, yep, genuinely that's true, and others are like, no, no, it's completely made up.
2: No, it's not completely made up, but it's it's not genuinely true. There's never a punch-up. Right. Uh, well, it just didn't happen, And the uh, uh, punch-up. But um, no, we, should we say we, we don't send Christmas cards to each other?
0: So I was having a look because there was some commentary in the nine days with you in the same commentary box as him. How do you make that relationship work when... You know, you've had a bit of a feud, and then you get in commentary together.
2: Well, at the end of the day, I was professional commentator. Uh, that yeah. was my job uh, in those days, and uh, I had great fun working with Nine. Uh, I didn't give a stuff who was sat there next to me. It didn't worry me in the slightest. Uh, so, no, you, you're there to do a job, and you don't carry that into the commentary box. So, no, nah, no problems with that at all.
0: That is it for Lord Ian Botham Part A. See you on the other side for Part B. Listener.